Father in heaven, thank you so much for this time again. And Lord, as we have been listening to the word already, we ask for your presence once more. Father, please don't ever tire of pouring out your blessings upon us. You told us that your mercies are new every morning. And so, Father, as we come to you now, pleading for a blessing, we know that you desire and delight to bless your children so much, if only we would seek for you more. And so, Lord, this morning, we are seeking for truth. We are seeking for Jesus. May he be uplifted. May our hearts and our minds be brought, drawn heavenward. And that as we study the scriptures, you'd speak to each and every one of our hearts individually, that we might hear your voice speaking so clearly to us. Lord, hide me behind the cross. May my voice and my thoughts not be the one that is heard, but Jesus Christ today. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In Acts chapter 2, we study about a situation that is very hard to, we read about a situation that is very hard to comprehend. 3,000 are baptized in one day. How did Peter do it? What was the secret to his success? And if we could do that work today, Jesus would quickly come. We'd wrap up the work very quickly and Jesus would come and take us home to heaven where there'll be no more sin or sickness or pain or death. And so I'd like for you to turn with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 2. And, you know, we know the story. It's the day of Pentecost. And in Acts chapter 2, at the very beginning there, and even in the previous chapter, really, that's where it all began. The disciples were all gathered together in an upper room, and they were studying together. They were praying. They were confessing their sins. They were praying and waiting for the promised blessing that Jesus said he would give them. And... When the Holy Spirit was poured about, out, they began to speak in tongues, and Peter preached a very powerful sermon. Acts chapter 2, and we're starting in verse 14. Please turn with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 2, and we're reading starting there in verse 14. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them, Ye men of Judea, and all ye that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you, and hearken to my words. For these are not drunken, as ye suppose, seeing it is but the third hour of the day. So people were beginning to say, oh, the reason why you can speak in a language that I can understand, which you've never been to, is because you're drunk. And so they were accused of being drunk with wine. But Peter had to stood up, stand up and defend that notion and say, look, we are not drunk. Verse 16, but this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel, and it shall come to pass in the last days, saith the Lord, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams, and on my servants and on my handmaidens I will pour out in those days my spirit, and they shall prophesy. Peter is saying, look, what you are seeing here before your very eyes is a manifestation of the words that were spoken by the prophet Joel. And he was saying that what Joel talked about in his book is being fulfilled before your very eyes. And that is the reason why you're able to hear us speak in your language, which we have ourselves never learnt. It is the outpouring of the Holy Spirit 
and the handmaidens and the servants and the men and the women, they would all begin to prophesy. But look, friends, it can't have been totally fulfilled in those days. You know why? Look at what he says there in verse 17 of Acts chapter 2. He said, and it shall come to pass what? In the what? Last days. And maybe when Peter stood up, he really believed that he was, he was living in the last days. Everybody that has ever lived has probably thought they were living in the last days, as Noah was all the way up to even our time today. But it can't have been the direct fulfillment there in Acts chapter 2, because it was not the last days. If Peter had stopped there, that would have been good. But, you know, Peter was a good Bible student. He always quoted in context, and he was about to prove to them why it was the last days. Let's keep reading. Acts chapter 2, verse 19. And I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath. He's quoting from the book of Joel. Blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and notable day of the Lord come. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So he still was still quoted, quoting from the prophet Joel. And he was telling them, look, this prophecy in Joel 2 is being fulfilled before your very eyes as I stand here and I'm preaching. That's what Peter is saying. But it can't have been. For now, the second reason we see, first, it wasn't the last days, as today is. But secondly, the last days will be signified by these things that are taking place in heaven. Sun be turned into darkness, moon into blood, and this would signify the great and the notable day of the Lord. Look, Peter was correct in his application up to a certain extent. It was a partial fulfillment of what we see there written in the book of Joel. Partial. And the reason why I can say that so confidently is because of these events that are outlined there in Acts chapter 2 and verse 20. That did not take place in the time of Peter. At least we have no record of it. Maybe it did, but we don't know about it. The sun did not turn black. Moon did not turn into blood. Where do we see this take place? Please turn with me in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 6 and verse 12. Revelation chapter 6 and verse 12. Where did we see this repeat of what we saw in Joel chapter 2. Revelation chapter 6, we're starting there in verse 12. And I beheld when he had opened the sixth seal, and lo, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became as blood, and the stars of heaven fell unto the earth, even as a fig tree casteth her untimely figs when she is shaken of a mighty wind. Friends, we see this in the book of Revelation. There are other places in the Gospels that talk about this as well, like Matthew. But here we see similar things that are being fulfilled in the book of Revelation that Joel also talks about. Do you see that? There's a great earthquake, but then the sun becomes black and the moon becomes as blood. And then the stars fall into heaven. Friends, those have been fulfilled in our recent history. Not 2,000 years ago, but less than 200 years ago. 
in November 1755, rather that's about 250 years ago, pardon me, in, on the 1st of November 1755, there was a great earthquake that would be called eventually the Great Lisbon Earthquake, and it would shake few continents. More than one country felt it over there in Europe. I think it was Portugal that was where the epicenter of the earthquake was. But it would shake, it would be felt over a few continents. Not a few countries, but a few continents. This earthquake was so great. Yes, it would flatten anywhere. Even today, if there was an earthquake of 8.0 magnitude, it would flatten the place where it would take place. But it would be shaking nearly a few continents where it was felt. That was 1st of November, 1755. But then, in 19th of May, 1780, the sun would become black and the moon would also become red like blood. That is 19th of May, 1780. The sun, it would come up and then it would just go dark. Birds would begin to stop singing their morning songs. The, the cows would go back to their barns and the horses. Everybody lit a candle thinking that it was nighttime. And so friends, the, 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 the sun went black that night, that day. And that very night, when the moon came up, it was blood red. Please take all these, these dates down and you can go back and research it out for yourself. And then... On 1833, that was 19th of May, 1780. But then in 1833, less than 200 years ago, on the 13th of November, the stars would fall from heaven, like shooting stars. It would be shooting across the great eastern skies over there in the US, and people would see it for a few hours, a few hours. And so these four signs, as we see in Revelation 12 verse, and verse 13, Revelation 6, pardon me, verse 12 and 13, would be fulfilled in our recent history. And friends, that is a time that Joel is also pointing to. But if we continue in Revelation 6, what event is this actually referring to? Verse 14. Revelation 6, verse 14, the Bible says, And the heaven departed as a scroll when it is rolled together. Every mountain and island will move out of their places. And the kings of the earth and the great men and the rich men and the chief captains and the mighty men and every bondman and every free man hid themselves in the dens and in the rocks of the mountains and said to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. Friends, what does this sound like? Every theologian, when they're looking there at verse 14, would agree that this is none other than the second coming. Friends, the very next event that would take place after the earthquake, the sun, the moon, and the stars would be the second coming of Jesus. But really, friends, what is this referring to? Revelation 6 and verse 17. For the great day of his wrath is come, and who shall be able to stand? Friends, the event that takes place right after the earthquake, the sun, the moon, and the stars is the day of God's wrath. What is that referring to? Let's turn our Bibles to Revelation chapter 15 and verse 1. Revelation 15 and verse 1. The Bible says, 
And I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, seven angels having the seven last plagues, for in them is filled up the wrath of God. Friends, what is the wrath of God? It is the seven last plagues. Has that come upon the earth today yet? No, it hasn't. That day is still in the future. We are living between two verses. Revelation chapter 6, verses 12 and 13 has already taken place. Verse 14, all the way up to verse 17, is yet to be fulfilled. We are living between these pages, these verses of Scripture today. So what Peter is referring to in Joel's prophecy would only be partly fulfilled on his day, but it would only be fully realized just before the seven last plagues are filled out, filled up, are poured out, pardon me. And so really we see this partial fulfillment. The seven last plagues are yet to come. The Holy Spirit is yet to be poured out again in the last days. Let's turn our Bibles to Joel chapter 2 and verse 23. Peter was actually quoting Joel 2, 28 to 32. But I want to show you uh, of the verse earlier in relation to this prophecy and what it's talking about. Joel chapter 2, verse 23. Daniel, Hosea, Joel. So if you can find the book Daniel, Joel, very small book. Joel chapter 2 and verse 23. This is the verse earlier before what Peter quotes from in Acts chapter 2. Be glad then, ye children of Zion, and rejoice in the Lord your God, for he hath given you what? The former rain moderately, and he will cause to come down for you the rain, the former rain, and the latter rain in the first month. Friends, what he is referring to is what we call the early rain and the latter rain. These two rains are spoken about in the Old Testament and also in the New. And um, it's regarding to farming and harvest. And I'm not an expert in that. I will try to share with you what I know. It's like me trying to talk about the brain and I have no idea about health. But I'll try my best. And, you know, what is the early rain and the latter rain? The early rain is that which is needed to start the seed to start growing. So when the farmer plants the, the seed into the soil, um, they, depend, they were dependent upon nature for these things to grow. So the early rain is that which allows the seed to crack open to start growing. The latter rain is at the very end. So this was at the very beginning. This would be at the very end to allow this, the, the fruit and the, the, the vegetable or whatever it is to come to full maturity. The last rain that would fall before they harvest. Let's turn our Bibles to James chapter 5. James chapter 5 and verses 7 and 8. We're in the New Testament speaking about the latter and the early, the early and the latter rain. James chapter 5 verses 7 and 8. The Bible says, Be patient therefore brethren unto the coming of the Lord. Behold the husbandman, which is the farmer, waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth, and hath long patience for it, until he received the early and latter rain. Be ye also patient, establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. Friends, we saw in Revelation. Now we see in the book of James that before Jesus Christ comes for a second time, there has to be early rain and there must also be 
latter rain. The latter rain must fall before the second coming. But we got a, a, a date even earlier. The latter rain must fall before what? The seven last plagues are poured out. So look, when you look at this word latter rain, okay, in the Hebrew and in the Greek, when you look it up in the concordance, let me give you its meaning. They both give the same understanding. They're both referring to the same thing. It is also known as the spring rain, okay? So the latter rain is known as the spring rain. It would fall around March or April, okay? The purpose, mature the crops, get it ready for harvesting. And the early rain was so that the plant could grow, okay? Now, what does rain represent in the Bible? I want you to remember, latter rain falls around springtime, just before the summer for harvest. But what does rain represent in the Bible? Let's turn the Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 32 and verse 2. Remember, this rain must fall before the second coming. This rain must fall before the seven last plagues are poured out. That's according to the words of Joel and the words of Peter. Joel 2, Acts chapter 2. Deuteronomy 32 verse 2. What does rain represent in the Bible? My doctrine shall drop as the rain. My speech shall distill as the dew, as the small rain upon the tender herb, and as the showers upon the grass. And so what is represented by rain? Doctrine. The early rain that fell down was the Christians ex would be represented as the Christian's experience in the word. What converts us is the word of God. Not a friend, not a pastor, not a church, not a denomination. The word of God is that which converts us. It's called the early rain. But what is the latter rain? In relation to doctrine, the word of God. Matthew 24 verse 14. Look at this. Matthew 24 and verse 14. What is the work of the latter rain at the end of time before the second coming of Jesus? Matthew 24 verse 14, And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. And so friends, the gospel, the word of God, the rain must go to all the world. It must be preached. But friends, in order for us to be able to preach the gospel to the whole world, what do we have to do? Facebook Live every Sabbath? Absolutely not. That's not what the Bible is talking about. Just because you post your sermon on the internet doesn't mean the whole world listens? Absolutely not. Friends, if we are to preach the gospel to the whole world before Jesus Christ comes for a second time, before the seven last plagues fall, what must take place? Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. Let's turn our Bibles there. Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. And ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost is come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. Friends, if we are to preach the gospel to the whole world, the uttermost part of the world, we need the power of the Holy Ghost. So this latter rain, friends, it's its result is to preach the gospel to the whole world, but in order for us to do that, we must receive the Holy Spirit. In the book, Early Writings, page 85 and paragraph three. Early Writings, page 85, paragraph three. We're gonna post this on the, on the chat here and also in our Dakis and Sakis chat. Ellen White writes this, Early Writings, 85, paragraph three. 
At that time, the latter rain or refreshing from the presence of the Lord will come to give power to the loud cry of the third angel and prepare the saints to stand in the period when the seven last plagues shall be poured out. Friends, look, if we are to finish the work, if we are to preach the gospel to the whole world at the end of time, we need the power of the Holy Spirit. We need the latter rain. If not, we will not be able to stand through the seven last plagues. So look, the latter rain falls in spring. Remember, March, April time, remember? What happens in summer? Proverbs chapter 10 and verse 5. We already know it from one angle. Let's look at it from another angle. Proverbs chapter 10 and verse 5. Look at what the Bible says. He that gathereth in summer is a wise son, but he that sleepeth in harvest is a son that causeth shame. So when we gather in summer, what are we doing? We are harvesting. This is a time of the harvest. The fruits are ripe. God is ready to come. This is the time that God will gather in his saints. Revelation chapter 14, at the very end there, Jesus is pictured with a sickle in his hand. He's coming to harvest. That's summertime. Springtime is when the latter rain falls. Let's turn our Bibles also to Jeremiah chapter 8 and verse 20. Jeremiah chapter 8 and verse 20. Look at what the Bible says about the summertime. Jeremiah 8 verse 20, the Bible says, The harvest is past, the summer is ended, and we are not saved. Friends, when the work of gathering in, when the harvest is finished, when summer is over, those that are holy will be holy still. Those that are filthy will be filthy still. The work of salvation and bringing up to heaven will be done during the time of the summer, the harvest. What we need today is the time, where, where we are focused today is the time before summer, spring. It's called the latter rain. Do you see that? We are now living in a time where God is ready to pour out His Holy Spirit so that we can finish the work, bring the gospel to the whole world, and that God can finally perfect His work in each and every one of His saints to prepare us to stand through the time of trouble, the seven last plagues. But friends, how can we get ready? How can we prepare? This is the question that must consume us today. Not how can we earn enough money to make a living. That, that's part of life, yes. But we must look at how God can get us ready today. Let's turn our Bibles to Acts chapter 3. Acts chapter 3 and verse 19. Let's turn our Bibles there, shall we? Acts chapter 3. Verse 19, how can we be ready to receive the latter rain, the refreshing from the presence of the Lord? Repent ye therefore, and be what? Converted, that your sins may be blotted out when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. Friends, we must repent, we must be converted. The Holy Spirit is not, the, at least the latter rain, 
The latter rain is not poured upon those that are not converted at the end of time. Do you understand that? That's what the early rain is for. We need the early rain, the work of the Word of God in our hearts, to prepare us the seed to be able to spring up and to take hold and to begin to give fruit. As the Christian today, if we have received the early rain, there must be fruit evident in our lives already. Fruit such as what? Obedience to the Word of God, obedience to the Ten Commandments. There must be actions that are taking place that are evident in the Christian's life today that the Holy Spirit is changing us and converting us. We must repent. We must be converted. The prerequisite to receiving the latter rain at the end of time is receiving the early rain, conversion. And so friends, we must make a thorough work of repentance today. We must be holy today. We must be perfect even as our Father in heaven is perfect. That must take place before the work of the latter rain. I'm reading to you from Faith I Live By, FLB 246, paragraph 6. We should improve every opportunity of placing ourselves in the channel of blessing. The convocations of the church, as in camp meetings and assemblies of the home church, and all occasions, what? Where there is personal labor for souls are God's appointed opportunities for giving the early and latter rain. You want to experience conversion? You want to experience an outpouring of the Holy Spirit for the latter rain as well? You want to experience early and latter rain? you got to make sure you don't neglect opportunities for gathering together in church, in care groups, in homes, wherever there are occasions for personal labor for souls, not only just to receive, but also to give. So even personal Bible studies, friends, this will prepare you for the latter rain. This is the seasons where God will pour out His early and the latter rain. So friends, we got to get involved in the work of God. we got to make sure we don't neglect ourselves from being present. Places when we run evangelistic series, being able to preach the Word of God. Maybe you have heard the, 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 the Word of God preached three years in a row from Dak and Sack. And you know what the preacher is going to preach next. You've heard this topic before. It's not that you're not familiar with it, but we can't neglect and forsake this opportunity of putting ourselves in the channel of blessing. To be able to speak a word in season to someone who's never heard the word of God before or ourselves never having heard it, being able to hear it for the first time. Let us improve every opportunity for placing ourselves in these channel of blessings. I want you to turn with me in your Bibles now to Jer uh, Job 29 and verse 23. Job 29, chapter 29 and verse 23. How can we get ourselves ready to receive the latter rain? Job 29, 23, the Bible says, And they waited for me as for the rain, and they opened their mouth wide as for the what? Latter rain. Friends, if we want to receive the latter rain, we got to open our mouths wide. Let's turn our Bibles to Psalms 81, verse 10. 
What is that referring to? Psalms chapter 81 and verse 10. How can we open our mouths wide? I am the Lord thy God, which brought thee out of the land of Egypt. Open thy mouth wide and I will fill it. God says, if you open your mouth wide, I will fill it. Dependent upon how wide you open is to the extent that I will fill it. Now let's turn our Bibles to Zechariah chapter 10 and verse 1. Zechariah chapter 10 and verse 1. Ask ye of the Lord rain in the time of the latter rain. So the Lord shall make bright clouds and give them showers of rain to everyone grass in the field. Friends, how do we get the latter rain? We got to ask for it. We got to open our mouths and we got to open them wide. God will give us according to how much we ask. He will not give more if we don't ask for more. That's why we're told in Job and Psalms, open your mouth wide. As wide as you can open it, open your mouth wide. We got to be praying. We got to be praying. If you're not praying for the latter rain, God is not going to give it to you. And friends, we know this. Ah, Ben, why are you talking about prayer so much? I heard it last week. I heard it the week before. I heard it last night. But friends, we got to open our mouths wide. And God will fill it. But why don't we put ourselves in positions to ask big things from God? You know, friends, only when crisis comes, then we get desperate. That's when we begin to pray for miracles, isn't it? Finance. You know, maybe some of us, we're praying really hard right now because we're in financial trouble. No work, no money. And it drives us to our knees. and We begin to pray desperately. We open our mouth wide. Maybe you're praying for a life of a loved one today. Maybe you got a loved one sick from the virus and they're in the hospital and their life is hanging in the balance. Then we pray for healing. We pray for a miracle. Many people are dying from this and we're praying, God, please give us a miracle. Heal them. And our faith is sometimes weak to grasp God's promises. We're not used to praying this way. Our knees hurt. We look at our watches and it's 10 minutes already and we're not used to praying and struggling with God in prayer. But it's these crises sometimes that, that drives us to our knees. And, and friends, we, we, we got to learn before that. Do you know that? we got to learn before this. To learn to open our mouths wide. To allow God to fill it. I want to share with you from CET, Christian Experience and Teachings. Page 112, paragraph 3. CET 112, paragraph 3. I saw that many were neglecting the preparation so needful and were looking to the time of refreshing and the latter rain to fit them to stand in the day of the Lord and to live in his sight. Oh, how many I saw in the time of trouble without a shelter. They had neglected the needful preparation. Therefore, they could not receive the refreshing that all must have to fit them to live in the sight of a holy God. Friends, the time of refreshing that will come to finally mature the fruit, it can only fall on those that are received the early rain already. You know, when we look at the life of Elijah, 
Before he prayed for rain to come at the end of three and a half years, after Mount Carmel experience, when God says, I'm going to send rain, the fire had fallen from heaven and, and he had to pray seven times for that rain to come. Do you know that he had prayed earlier for the life of a boy to be brought back? He prayed for resurrection for a boy and he had to pray three times. But do you know before he prayed for the, that boy to be brought back to life, he had been praying that rain would stop. When he stood before King Ahab and he said, according to my word, there will be no rain. He had already been praying. He had been learning to pray. And before he had, before he had stood before King Ahab to declare that there would be no rain, do you know what he had been praying for? He had been praying for the sins of the land. From his country abode, he had seen the wickedness of the king. He had seen the wickedness of the people go into idolatry. Before he ever stood before the king, he was praying and he was interceding and he was wrestling with God in prayer. Friends, before we can do the mighty work of the latter rain to bring the gospel to the whole world, we can't be just only praying in times of emergency. There is wickedness abounding today. There is immorality on every side. And sometimes God's children, we only get caught up with praying in times of these emergencies. Friends, the time to pray was before the virus ever came upon us, praying for the sins that we see all around us. Then the Holy Spirit would give us power to make good use of our time even now. Then we would be able to use that time wisely for God's work. You know, I've gotten more busy in this time of lockdown, not more free. The reason my, why many people's lives have not changed during the lockdown, you know, you tell me that you're busy, you can't read God's word, and now you're so free, you still don't read God's word. It's because we're not praying before. And so now we have more time. We, we're, we're, those that are praying will we'll pray more and they become more holy, but those that weren't praying before, they become more wicked because they weren't praying before. We weren't making the necessary preparations to meet this emergency and this crisis. Friends, we've been un unprepared to meet this time because we have not been praying before. But friends, it's not too late. God can still help us to change right now. The fact that you're listening to this sermon this morning shows me that God is still working in our hearts. And yes, He is mighty to save. He will help us to redeem the time that was lost. He'll be the one that will teach us again what it means to pray. Friends, open your mouth wide and God will fill it. This lockdown, it shouldn't serve as a reminder to wake us up. We should be awake already. God wanted us to be awake a long time ago. And as events are unfolding, and Ellen White tells us they're unfolding at a rapid pace in these last times, we got to be minute men and women for God to act and react for the truth and for the work of God in these last days. Friends, we got to be praying today. And God says, open your mouth wide and I will fill it. But he will not fill it if we've not been asking for big things like the conversion of souls, for those that are lost, for those we are praying for miracles.
Friends, we got to open the mouth wide. We got to open our mouth wide, wide today. Turn with me in your Bible to Jeremiah chapter 3 and verse 3. Jeremiah chapter 3 and verse 3. Therefore the showers have been withholden, and there hath been no latter rain. Thou hadst a whore's forehead that refusest to be ashamed. Friends, you know why God has not poured out his latter rain? It's because we have a whore's forehead, a harlot's forehead, a prostitute's forehead. We've committed fornication with the world. We've gotten in bed with the world. We've made friendship with the world. And we've tried still to be friends with God. And God says, that is fornication. My dear brothers and sisters, the reason why we are still here on this earth is because God's children in the Seventh-day Adventist church are not praying. We are not committing ourselves wholeheartedly to God. We have a whore's, a harlot's forehead. Our mind is not converted. We don't have the seal of God. For verily the mark of the beast would have come upon us today. Many of us would receive the mark of the beast rather than his seal. We have not been praying. We've not been opening our mouths wide. Turn with me in your Bibles now to Jeremiah chapter 5. Two chapters over. Jeremiah chapter 5 and verse 24. Neither say they in their heart, let us now fear the Lord our God that giveth rain, both the former and the latter in his season. He reserveth unto us the appointed weeks of the harvest. Friends, the people have not been saying in their hearts, let us fear God that he may give us the former and the latter rain. Friends, where do we see fear God? That's the first angel's message. It's the first angel's message. We ourselves have not experienced what it means to fear God. We've not experienced what it means for God to write his law in our hearts and our minds. Exodus 20, 20 says that if we fear God, we will not sin. Do you understand that? We will not sin. If we fear God, we'll have victory over sin. And so the reason why God is not pouring out his latter rain on us today is because many of us are not converted. We are delighting in sin. We are taking pleasure in sin. We are happy in sin. And that's why Acts chapter 3 said, Repent and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out. I'm reading from Last Day Events 37. Paragraph 5. Had Adventists, after the great disappointment in 1844, held fast their faith and followed on unitedly in the opening providence of God, receiving the message of the third angel in the power of the Holy Spirit, proclaiming it to the world, they would have seen the salvation of God. The Lord would have wrought mightily with their efforts. The work would have been completed and Christ would have come ere this to receive his people to their reward. It was not the will of God that the coming of Christ should be thus delayed. Friends, do you know that Jesus could have come shortly after 1844, but he didn't. For 40 years did unbelief, murmuring and rebellion shut out ancient Israel from the land of Canaan. The same sins have delayed the entrance of modern Israel into the heavenly Canaan. In neither case were the promises of God at fault. It is what? It is the unbelief, the worldliness, unconsecration and strife among the Lord's professed people that have kept us in this world of sin and sorrow so many years. Friends, the fact that 
the latter rain has not been poured out yet and the plagues poured out and the second coming of Jesus Christ come is because the sins that plagued those in 1844 and those in the wilderness sojourn is still the same problems of us. Unbelief, worldliness, unconsecration, and strife. Last day events, 192, paragraph 3. It is left with us to remedy the defects in our characters, to cleanse the soul temple of every defilement. Then the latter rain will fall upon us as, in, as the early rain fell upon the disciples on the day of Pentecost. There is nothing that Satan fears so much as that the people of God shall clear the way by removing every hindrance so that the Lord can pour out his spirit upon a languishing church. Every temptation, every opposing influence, whether open or secret, may be successfully resisted, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. Oh, friends, we need that early reign of conversion. We need the power of the Holy Spirit to help us first to resist the temptations, resist those things, whether open or secret, that God would give us the victory. Friends, it is left with us to remedy the defects of our characters. There is something that we have to do still. God is waiting. He's waiting to pour out His Spirit, the latter rain, so that we can finish the work here on this earth. Friends, God is not waiting for you to open church again after the MCO. That's not going to finish the work. Some of our churches were dying. It's going down. He's not waiting for us to open the church. He's not waiting so that you can go back and see each other face to face and sing some songs and praise Him and get on your knees and pray together. Friends, what He's waiting for is each and every one of us to make a thorough work of repentance. To confess our sins, to stop being lackadaisical, stop being lazy in our Christian experience. Friends, now is the time more than ever before as we are in lockdown, as we realize that the government can just stop and close our churches just like that. Now is the time to help us to realize that we need to be sorry for our sins, to stop fighting amongst each other, pastor against pastor, elder against pastor, deacon against the congregation. We're not against each other. Friends, now is the time to make a thorough work of repentance and just be sorry. We're not in competition with each other. But now is the time, the time to put aside worldliness, unconsecration, unbelief, and strife. Faith I Live By, 334, paragraph 5. FLB 334, paragraph 5. At every meeting we attend, our prayers should ascend that at this very time, God will impart warmth and moisture to our souls. As we seek God for the Holy Spirit, it will work in us meekness, humbleness of mind, a conscious dependence upon God for the perfecting latter rain. If we pray for the blessing in faith, we shall receive it as God has promised. Friends, now is the time that we should meet together and pray. We have the 100 days of prayer. I pray that all of you would get involved. Every day, 
set aside time with the world church that you would take one time you know our leaders in our church we, we've put our names down if you haven't please put your name down but set an alarm make sure that you take time aside to pray for the latter rain don't take time aside just to pray for the lockdown take time aside to pray for the latter rain we ought to praise god for the lockdown some of us have become more holy because of it Praise the Lord for that. But friends, take time aside. Set a time, whether it's 7 o'clock in the morning, whether it's 5 p.m., whether it's midnight, whatever time that is best for you to remember, take time aside that we might pray for the latter rain. This is the purpose of the 100, 100 days of prayer, not for the lockdown. God doesn't, God can finish the work with a lockdown. Are you with me? What he needs is people that would pray. We must learn to ask today, friends. Luke eleven thirteen says that if we ask for the Holy Spirit, that is a promise, Luke eleven thirteen that God is more than willing to give us the Holy Spirit if we are asking. The problem is, many of us aren't. Truth be told, maybe some of us are ashamed to ask God for His Spirit to help them earn more money. We're asking for the wrong thing. Rightly so. We are asking amiss that we might consume it upon our own lusts. Many of us, our prayers, they are all selfish. It's got nothing to do with God's work. It's got nothing to do with the salvation of another soul. But friends, God wants you to ask today for others. He wants you to open your mouth wide, not so that you can just receive all these blessings, but He wants you to ask according to his will. Education 257, paragraph 7. ED 257, paragraph 7. He makes it plain that our asking must be according to God's will. We must ask for the things that he has promised. And whatever we receive must be used in doing his will, not ours. The conditions met. The promise is unequivocal, meaning it is guaranteed. It will come to pass. The problem is then, friends, we have not been asking according to God's will. Some of you have been praying for a promotion. Some of you have been praying for exaltation. And you point to Joseph. You point to Abraham. You point to Daniel. But they never prayed for that. Do you see that? Joseph never asked for promotion. God gave it. Abraham, he never asked for riches. God blessed it. Daniel, before he was a prime minister, he was also thrown into the lion's den. Friends, you are praying for the wrong thing. You got to pray for God's will to be done. You don't know what God's will is? You need to go back and read the Bible. You got to pray, God, help me to know your will. His will is in his word. His will is sanctification as we studied last night. Many of us were asking amiss. We're praying, God, I need food today. I have no money in my bank account to go buy food because I'm in an MCO. How do you know that's, not, that, that's his will to feed you? Ah, maybe he needs you to go hungry for a few days. That might be his will. Do you know that? <gasps> but God, God, my bread and water will be sure. Yes, your bread and your water will be sure. 
during the time of the seven last plagues, during the time of the mark of the beast, his bread and water shall be sure. You are asking amiss. Maybe he needs you to go hungry for a few days to help you with your diabetes because you've been eating too much before the MCO came. Are you with me? Sometimes we ask these things that we think is necessary and it is God's will, but you might not know that. Do you see that? Sometimes he withholds the good because he's got something better. And so today, instead of asking God, please help me with the MCO, please help me with my finances, please, you know, I need to feed my family. It's not your will for my children to starve. There were children that starved in Jerusalem. There are people that are starving today. There were people that were starving before the lockdown began. Who are we to question whether God's will is for us to starve or not? Just pray, God, what is your will? And help me to do it today. And I guarantee you, friends, there is one thing that we can pray for. There are some people that are lost in sin. You got to pray for them. Your neighbor who doesn't know God, he wants them to be saved. The schoolmate that you see, at school there, your roommate, he doesn't want them to be lost. Have you prayed for their salvation? Have you opened your mouth wide for them? Some of us, we are caught up with a worldliness, grasping after things that will burn. And you've forgotten your mission. There are some here that are sad for a loved one who's out of faith and out from God. And God is telling you today, you need to pray for them. Pray without ceasing. The conditions met. The promise is unequivocal. It is guaranteed. Start praying for lost souls. Too many of our prayers, it's not, look, I'm not saying that you should never pray for your food and for money and to be supported. But we focus on that too much at the expense of the guaranteed will of God. And what is that? God is not willing that any should be lost. Some will be lost at the end of time is because some have been neglecting their work as prayer warriors and intercessors and peacemakers. And maybe, just maybe, God has stirred our Laodicean hearts enough this morning to help us to realize that we have not been following God rightly and, there, there, and that there needs to be change. Praise God. You know, I've been reading a book and I've been recording it. It's called Daring to Ask for More by Melody Mason. I've, this is the second time I'm reading it and it's really touched my heart. If you've not, never read this book, you have to. You have to read it, friends. There's a story that I want to share from there about this man. His name was John Hyde. He was also know, known as Praying Hyde. He lived in the early 1900s and he was a missionary to India. One time, he was convicted that he needed to pray for at least one soul a day. 365 in a year. He was praying for the conversion of one soul every day. Some mocked him, 
They said that it was unreasonable or presumptuous, that God would never answer such a prayer. But he had peace from God and he started praying. He started praying for one soul a day. At the end of that year, God blessed. More than 400 had come to know Christ directly through his efforts. The next year, he wasn't satisfied. As long as there were souls outside of the kingdom of God, God would never be satisfied and neither would John Hyde. And so he began to pray for two souls a day. And um, guess what? God blessed again. Over 800 souls were converted. The following year, he prayed for four souls a day and God blessed again. John Hyde always seemed to be hearing the good shepherd's voice saying, other sheep I have, other sheep I have. No matter if he won the one a day or the two a day or the four a day, he had unsatisfied longing, an undying passion for lost souls. The supernatural success that followed John's Hyde, John Hyde's prayers would not come without a price though. And it's a price probably few of us will be willing to pay today. Because of the intense prayer burden and agony for souls that he carried upon his body, sometimes spending days and nights and weeks in prayer, his heart literally moved from one side of his chest to the other. After a few years of intense wrestling in prayer, while he was still young, he died of a heart condition, a broken heart for God. You know, I know I'm not there yet, but I know that this is what Jesus is waiting for. He's waiting for us to pray. Some of us, our hearts cannot be moved because we're too caught up in sin. We got to repent first. But today I'm calling for all my brothers and sisters, every single one of you, to pray for at least one soul. If that would happen, if we pray without ceasing, if we make it a point to pray every day, our church would double. And then the following year, we pray for two souls a year. Can you imagine how fast our church would grow? Friends, we need to begin to pray again. We gotta pray according to God's will. We gotta open our mouth wide to let God fill it. The reason why the church is dying is simple. It's not the pastor's fault. Daki Sakis is not my fault, okay? It's yours. Because you're not praying. But it's mine too, because I'm not praying enough either. Friends, we can't be satisfied with eight baptisms and ten baptisms. God is greater than that. He's greater than that. And he's waiting for every single one of us to pray. And if we do, the latter rain will be poured out. And we will finish this work so quickly, friends. And so I challenge you, for the rest of 2020, Madakis and Sakis, if you've been praying for particular people, five for 40 days of prayer, I don't want you to stop. Every day, 
Pray, intercede, ask God, claim His promises, hold Him according to His word. Let's pray. And I know that as we begin to pray like that, God will change our hearts. He will change our lives. He will change our characters. And we will see the work of God wrapped up very quickly. Friends, is that your desire? Start a prayer journal. Write down your prayer requests. Start interceding for people's salvation. And we will see our church change. We will see the work grow. And we will see miracles before our very eyes. Friends, I challenge you today that God would place upon you that burden. And then one day, just one day, we will see 3,000 baptized in one day. That's my desire, friends. But the foundation for all of this is prayer. And so today, turn away from your selfish prayers. Ask God to give you a heart of flesh, a burden for souls that are lost. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, I ask that you'd place upon all of us that great burden, the heart of Jesus. That, Father, if there are some of us here that we are lost in sin, that you would open our eyes and help us to see that we are hopeless without you. And that you'd give us true repentance. You'd give us change. That you would give us true conversion. And that, Lord, you would open our eyes, all of us, to the great work that is set before us. And help us, Lord, to be prayer warriors. Help us to be more on our knees in this time, Lord, to be praying for people, not just for ourselves, but for the salvation of those that are lost. And so, Father, please, help us to open our mouths wide today. Teach us what it means to pray. Help me, O Lord. Father, I've not prayed according to your will. In all these years I've been in ministry, help me, Lord, to be changed as well. So, Father, we surrender our lives again to you today. Lead us, teach us, strengthen us, pour your love upon us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.